Welcome back, everybody. This is Sarit Ketchatorian and Isaac Ketchatorian. I can't believe it's already February. Thank you for joining us on our podcast. And uh, it is February, like I said, and it's uh, Black History Month. So happy Black History Month to everybody. And the topic, as you could probably guess, it is dismantling racism. Hello, welcome to Real Talk with Father and Son. It's your hosts, Isaac Ketchatorian, the millennial. And this is the father of Sri Ketchatorian, Generation X, best generation there is. Hey, hey, I don't know about that. But what I do know is that we're going to be having genuine conversations about tough topics from both of our generations. Let's get this going. So let's define racism before we get started. So Google says racism is prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism by an individual, community, or institution against a person or people on the basis of their membership in a particular racial or ethnic group, typically one that is a minority or marginalized. So Isaac, what do you think about that definition? Too much? Too little? Does it sound like it's right on point with today's standards? I think that's a really good definition. I think it said it better than I could have said it myself. Well, Google always is usually right about these things. I think that's a very good definition. So I think after understanding the definition of that racism, let's break that down. Prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism by an individual, community, or institution. And I think obviously we all have biases and we live in communities where, or even families where, we have biases with certain groups and it's just natural to think to have that embedded into our culture um but let's talk about this institutional racism or systemic racism that that definition for me personally just became part of my vocabulary probably within the last five years i never really thought of racism being so much institutionalized or systemic uh until really just recently um I think a lot of it has to do with some of the stuff that's been going on. Um, you know, obviously when George Floyd got killed in 2020, I think that was the peak of when it kind of came to the forefront of my mind. A lot of the, the racism topics and conversations have come back into play. Um, so that was a, a new term. What about you, Isaac? Is that something that you, when did you kind of understand systemic racism? Yeah, for me, I think it was a very similar thing. Um, like the term itself was a newer term that I hadn't really connected the dots. But then once I understood what the term meant, it, it obviously made sense to me. And so I think one thing that would be beneficial um, for you, Dad, is to share or ex- describe what systemic racism is. And then two... What would you share with those that believe that systemic racism is a myth or or doesn't exist? Because I've heard on the opposing side of this argument that, you know, systemic racism isn't a thing anymore. Racism was a thing of the past. We need to move on and that it's not something that affects people today, but it's a way that maybe people who were marginalized are using it as an excuse or a victimized mentality. So one, describe or explain the definition of systemic racism specifically, and two, what would you respond to people that have that viewpoint or that perspective? So going back to what does this systemic racism actually mean? So basically, it's racism that's kind of woven or embedded 
into laws and the regulations of our society um, or really any organization. And it's basically embedded into like crime, employment, housing, education, uh, even politics, um, or even healthcare. And I think what happens is that those, those discriminations are embedded into a way that's obviously negatively affecting people of a certain race. And specifically when I think of systemic racism, I think the, the, of African-Americans out of all the different minorities and marginalized groups out there, Asians, uh, Native Americans, um, et cetera, I think systemic racism has affected the African-American population the most. And it's obvious. It started with slavery, um, you know, early, as early as the 1600s. And then when slavery was abolished in 1865, it kind of came in the form of Jim Crow laws. And then obviously 100 years later, there's a civil rights movement with Martin Luther King, which kind of kind of moved the needle towards equality a little bit more. But then it was uh, more... Um, other issues of, you know, mass incarceration, the war on drugs, we do the war on drugs, and then, and we even still, still see the effects of it today. So going back to your second question, you know, some people feel like systemic racism was a thing in the past. Not, not exactly correct. I don't feel that way. I think the effects of it are still going on today. Um, I see it you know, in the workplace sometimes with people not getting opportunities to advance in employment because of the color of their skin. Um, unfortunately, it still happens. Or they're getting underpaid compared to others of a different race, which is sad to see here in 2023. That's still still going on. Yeah, I think that that's a key point um, to really emphasize. And I think that's why we wanted to do this podcast, like you mentioned, Pops, is that Racism is still a problem today, and I think it's really easy for people who are not affected by racism to say, oh, that was such a thing of the past, when in actuality, we really aren't that far removed from it. Traditionalists and baby boomers were still here, and baby boomers that are still alive today were alive when segregation was still taking place in America. So in actuality, like when you really put it into perspective that way, that segregation truly wasn't that long ago, there is most definitely still long-lasting effects of that today. Uh, and I think we see it quite a bit. Um, you know, racism obviously extends beyond systemically or even uh, African-Americans, but this is kind of the root, specifically in America, that we've seen racism begin and how it's still entrenched in our society. And it's something that I think, like you mentioned, in 2020, we dissected more. And as a society, we realized we have a lot more work to do and improvements to be made. Uh, and so I want to kind of talk more about those things today of, yeah, what are we seeing today? What effects are lasting? And what are takeaways or action items that we can take away from this podcast to maybe better improve maybe some of our biases or, you know, help um, fight against racism in our society? Yeah, some good questions and some good, uh, some good ideas uh, to kind of talk about what we can do to help 
dismantle racism or to become more anti-racist, as Ibram Kendi has said in one of his uh, podcasts and one of the books he wrote about. I think the key thing is a lot of us, when I talk to my friends and we have conversations about this, it's like they don't, none of us claim to be racist at this point in time. But a lot of us don't claim to be anti-racist as well. There's a big difference between the two. Um, to be an anti-racist is actually be an advocate for people that are marginalized. And I think that's where the big disconnect is. It's like, hey, you know, I, don't, I, I love black people. I talk to them. I have friends. I invite them over. You know, we can all say something along those lines. But to become an anti-racist and be involved in the dismantling of the systemic racism that we're talking about, that's where there's a disconnect. And I think my generation specifically has a harder time identifying those. I think part of it could be because maybe we're not having genuine conversations to talk about the systemic racism that's out there and how can we better as a community dismantle it. That's something that we're learning, trying to try to learn how to do still. I think just based on observation, I think Isaac, your generation is doing a much better job of being anti-racist and dismantling it. So I think I'm gonna bounce the question back to you how is your generation leading out this in rooting out racism and being more anti-racist? Can you share with us how could, what tools can we use in our generation, Generation X, to help build upon the anti-racist mentality? Yeah, I just think that the millennial generation is more open to the idea of, obviously, like you mentioned, I'm not saying that one generation is less racist than the other um, necessarily, but I do think that, and I've shared this in previous episodes, equality just across the board is so important for millennials. And you'll see that in the other episodes that we talk about. And I think a clear distinction and or difference between us and maybe some of the older generations, I mean, equality in pay, right? In the workforce, equality in racial relations, equality in you know, men and women, equality in, you know, gay rights. Like, when you really go down to the root of what all of us are fighting for is equality. And it's so interesting because I feel like your generation is always like, well, you know, not everything can be fair all the time, right? Like, you know, millennials always want everybody to win and everybody gets a trophy and that's just not how society works. (laughs) (laughs) And, And it's interesting because... It's not that we all necessarily want trophies. I think we all just want a fair chance, right? And so to answer your question of like what we're trying to do is one, I think we're just trying to make things more equal across the board uh, and more fair as a society. You know, one thing I often hear is, well, racism will always exist or there will always be inequality in America. Not, not everything will be perfectly equal all the time. That's just not how society works. So I feel like the older generations are like, that's kind of the mentality, right? Is like there's never going to be full equality, right? There's always going to be, you know, some form of inequality because if life were perfect and everybody was equal, then maybe it wouldn't be what life is, right? Like there's always going to be different scales of fairness. Uh, and I think to to that I say, yeah, I agree. I don't think anything is ever going to be perfect. I don't think that... Unfortunately, you know, I don't think that there will ever be a time in society where there's going to be no biases or no racism and it's going to be completely swept off the earth. I don't think that that's the case, but I think what we're trying to do 
is make improvements and make it better. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. If we see biases in ourselves, right, if we see ourselves judging other people based off of their culture or the color, you know, the color of their skin, and we're treating them differently subconsciously, how can we improve on those behaviors, right? How can we be more self-aware? And like you mentioned, be stand up for those that aren't like us. You know, obviously you or I, we're not black, but we're having this conversation about standing up for our black brothers and sisters who, you know, do experience these, these things where people are biased or might be racist to them. And I think that's what it's about is standing up for people that are different than you, but also realizing that, hey, if we have the opportunity just to, you know, make life a little better and more fair for those around us, that's a good thing. And that's something that we should strive to do and become as a society and knowing that, hey, yeah, the end goal is never to be absolutely perfect and make everything completely fair, but to just make it better. And I think that's a clear distinction in, in a way that a lot of millennials view some of these issues and why we're fighting so hard for equality across the board, but you know, specifically with racism and being anti-racist. Yeah, that's all good. I think that's a great perspective. But what are you doing personally, Isaac, to to do exactly some of those things that you're saying? What What are you doing in your life to help be an advocate? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, you mentioned that sometimes there's inequality in the workforce. I think for me, I joined a company that really stands by some of these values. I think surrounding yourself around, um, you know, places and people that align with your values is is really important, specifically when it comes to being anti-racist. So, um, you know, we have a DEI or diversity, equity, inclusion leader um, at my workplace. And there's a group that we called the Mosaic Group that I'm a part of at work. And we have meetings uh, specifically surrounding these topics about how we can create a more fair workforce and hire people who are of color and give them more leadership opportunities and what we're doing within the company to make a difference in that way. Um, you know, obviously, I don't necessarily lead that group, but I love attending the meetings and really understanding. Uh, those perspectives, I think, again, just giving your black friends and family um, or coworkers a voice to share their stories and to be an ally and create space for that is one thing that you could do. There's a lot of community groups. Um, you know, obviously, I have a group like that at my workplace, which is really awesome. Um, but, you know, joining groups like that, uh, you know, reading books and just exposure is so important, right, is is exposing yourself and, and making friends with people that are different than you, understanding their perspectives and their stories. Are you reading books by black authors? Are you listening to podcasts that have, uh, you know, black hosts? Are you consuming media produced by just, again, black people that are sharing their stories and sharing those those experiences and really trying to hear them out and come from a place of love, right? I think that's something that I try to do when I consume, you know, different pieces of media. Uh, so to answer your question, those are things that I try to do every day. Um, and I think I just try to be open-minded in my approach uh, to understanding people's pain points, right? I think that their challenges are unique or different than mine. 
And so how can I be a better friend or ally and stand up for them, like you mentioned, with like being anti-racist and knowing that if I'm seeing behaviors out in public or things that are being done, am I going to stick up and stand up and, and say that those things are wrong if I see any sort of racist behavior or activity happening um, while I'm out and about? You know, hopefully, obviously, that doesn't happen. Um, but committing yourself to if I were to see something like that, would I say something or would I stay quiet? Yeah, I think I think that's one thing I've observed in this this time period, uh, specifically with your generation in the workforce. There's, there's definitely a lot of like seminars and meetings and things of that nature, talking about inclusivity and equity and equality, and they're giving people. That's the big thing I've really noticed is that they're giving people the space, a safe space and a voice to be heard, to basically give people the opportunities to uh, move up the corporate ladder, if you will, or to basically receive uh, compensation that's more equitable to their skill set. And I think that's that's always been a challenge is like, you know, well, we should basically hire people based on their skill set and, the, and their character and not based on the color of their skin. And I, and I, I know that my perspective on that was, was similar to that for a while. And I think as I've learn to listen to these people's voices uh, that have been victimized because of systemic racism, I better understand now that there's got to be definitely more that we can do as a society to create that uh, space uh, and that opportunity for people to be heard. And, uh, and I think that's, that's where it really is important. As individuals, we need to have these conversations about racism, I think, and uh, sometimes there are uncomfortable conversations. Um, I know after George Floyd's killing, um, Emmanuel Ocho shared uh, a video that became viral um, talking about uncomfortable uncomfortable conversations with a black man, and it just took off because it was just so profound, and I think that was what his mantra was, is like, hey, we gotta sit down and have these uncomfortable conversations and recognize one that there is systemic racism in place and start beginning these conversations so that we can create the space and the opportunity to basically dismantle racism. Yeah, what would you say are some things that you're doing today to help dismantle racism? Well, I'm glad you asked, Isaac. I mean, you know, I have been involved um, since George Floyd's killing in a lot of different activities. Um, I think when that happened, um, as I was hearing all these things on the news and the Black Lives Matter movement was coming into play and I was talking with patients, you know, this is the first step. I was having conversations with some of my African-American patients and just kind of hearing how they felt about all this. And my eyes were just opened and just hearing some of the frustration, the pain, and, you know, sometimes they're just tears even just of some of the things that were going on. And when I saw this, these emotions in my patients, I thought, you know, my second family is my church family. So I started, I bet you some of my African-American brothers and sisters in my church family are having similar feelings. So I remember distinctly, it was September 8th, 2020, a year after my first grandson was born. Uh, Bliss, I, I don't know if that was what it was, you know, having the knowledge that, hey, I got a grandson in the world now. There's just uh, a lot of craziness going on with uh, racism still to this day. What can I do? 
So what I did, I just went out and just emailed all of my African-American brothers and sisters, as we call it in our church family, and just said, hey, I want to create a safe space and have a conversation. I just want to get a better understanding of what your feelings are. And hey, if we can't, if we're trying to dismantle racism and become more anti-racist, we need to basically have an understanding of how to do that. And, um, and that's what we did. We opened up that conversation and I was very happy that it happened. So we were having Zoom calls probably a couple times a month. And just to summarize, I don't want to get into the nitty gritty because that's a whole new podcast, but um, I was educated, I was inspired, uh, I was, and how I was educated, I was reading a lot. So just a couple books that I wanted to share with everybody that helped me gain a better understanding of how to dismantle racism and how to be an anti-racist. I mentioned already Ibrahim, Ibram Kenny's book, uh, How to Become an Anti-Racist. Another book that was recommended to me was White Fragility by D'Angelo, um, Cast by Isabella Wilson. Uh, I mentioned Emmanuel Otto's video. He wrote a book, uh, How to Have Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. Um, and there's just others, you know, podcasts and things of that sort. So, and I felt compelled to discuss it with these things with our church leaders because there's obviously, even in our church history, there's a lot of racism that was evident and kind of toxic um, for a lot of the church members. And um, I was compelled to talk to them about it. And one thing led to another. And we're starting to have Sunday school lessons on some of these topics. And the great thing about it was not only were we beginning these conversations, but our church leader, specifically our president, who is named Russell L. Nelson, started having conversations with us in some of our general conferences that we had. And he specifically said this, uh, listen carefully, brothers and sisters, we need to abandon our prejudices. And, and basically said he had, you know, he said other things and basically said we had to root out racism. And uh, just paraphrasing that last part. But I think for me during this two to three year journey, um, it's helped me gain better perspective, realize that there is a systemic problem, realize that there's still a problem and we just need to do better. Um, I think just, you know, that's just my perspective. So I just want to ask you, as I was saying these things, let's talk about some personal experiences, if, you, if we could, to end this podcast. Have you ever experienced racism in your life that was kind of very hurtful to you, um, being a very diverse person of color? Um, you know, obviously, when you look at you, you're brown. And have you experienced any racism? And maybe I'll answer the same thing. Yeah, uh, I think a term that was coined during all of these conversations in the pandemic was like microaggressions. Uh, so maybe it's not blatant racism. And you mentioned that earlier, right? Is I think all of us, you know, have the best intentions. Like I don't think anybody or majority of people in society today aren't just blatantly racist. But people, I think, oftentimes make like really subtle comments uh, that are unintentionally discriminatory. So I'm really fortunate in the sense that I've never really experienced victimized racism or like blatant racism. I've definitely had friends of mine who, you know, are people of color that definitely have, you know, like I mentioned, I've dealt with different microaggressions or just a lot of ignorant comments by other people, or I've heard just uh, in my presence, people talking or saying racist things about other races. 
Uh, and that, that to me almost has been more painful, um, especially, you know, when you have friends or loved ones that are of that race and you hear those things being said, that to me is almost more painful than if somebody was to say something to me directly, interestingly enough. Um, but yeah, I'm curious. I mean, do you have any specific examples yourself? Yeah, I, I do have a good story, Isaac, I can think of. Um, this is actually while I was in optometry school, my fourth year, um, I was doing rotations and I was finishing up a rotation out in Salt Lake City, Utah and getting ready to come to Charlotte, North Carolina for the first time. So I was talking to one of the doctors, um, getting ready to come and the other doctors um, that owned the practice, I never actually physically talked to on the phone. So I came, started working through the rotation and one of the doctors that I actually talked to that was in the practice shared a story with me uh, when we were out to lunch one time and she said, hey, by the way, I just want to let you know that, you know, the other doctors that owned the practice were really uh, reluctant and was hesitant of having you come rotate with us. And I was like, oh, really, why? She goes, well, they didn't obviously talk to you on the phone, so they didn't know how well you spoke English. And, um, but they saw your name, and obviously it's foreign, and they were afraid that you wouldn't be able to speak clear English because of your foreign name, and we're going to have you rotate in Gastonia, which is obviously a very rural community outside of Charlotte, more of a blue collar atmosphere. And a lot of people speak very strong Southern language and they were afraid one, you wouldn't understand them. And two, that you wouldn't be able to speak clear enough English. And they thought maybe it's just best to have you rotate in Charlotte where it was a little bit more diverse. And I thought that was kind of interesting that they never, you know, they just assumed based on my name alone, Sarit Kajitorian, which is obviously a foreign name that I didn't have any um, clear language skills in the English language, but obviously I feel like my English is fairly good. But anyway, that's one story that I can share with you that I thought that was kind of interesting, very discriminatory, racist in connotation. And these were older doctors, you know, more of a traditional, they're even older than baby boomers. And obviously like you, Isaac, it's not anything significant where I'm actually victimized because of that racism, but it's just, uh, you know, the possibility of not having a full opportunity to have a good experience uh, in my clinical rotation to be able to see people in a large city like Charlotte as well as in a rural city like Gastonia could have been a very big reality if they would have followed through on their assumptions. And I think that's where um, people can continue to have uh, better opportunities in dismantling racism, again, just by having open dialogue and open conversations and before we make assumptions, get to know the person better and, and have a true conversation with them. Yeah, I definitely think that's the best approach to have. And honestly, I think that there's just a lot of just ignorance out there. Um, and, and when I say ignorance, I mean, people just don't really think twice, or maybe they're just not used to being around people of color. And so they have certain biases or things that they think, or they're just not as sensitive when they speak. And they say things where like, again, you're not blatantly racist, but you're also not maybe thinking about how that affects those people or how that makes that group of people feel when you say those types of things. Uh, one of my favorite groups and shout out to these guys, the Black Menaces. Uh, this is a social media group of black BYU students that have gone viral and they interview people um, at predominantly white universities, but specifically at BYU. And they cover a lot of these topics of 
how racism is still affecting society today and how it's still embedded, you know, in a lot of the culture there. And they've done a lot of interviews with students uh, where they're just not aware of a lot of things. Like they did an interview most recently with students where they said, when is Black History Month? And a lot of the students didn't even know when Black History Month was, right? And so it's obviously apparent that there's still a lot of education that needs to happen or a lot of just, again, exposure. Um, And I think that because of that lack of exposure, because of that lack of education, people can oftentimes be ignorant and maybe kind of say things that they don't even realize are hurtful. And I think I've been on the receiving end of that in different ways. Um, And I think a lot of black people have as well. And so again, it's kind of just being more sensitive to those things and realizing that some things are just not okay to say. Yeah, Isaac, I appreciate you bringing up the Black Menaces. Obviously, I'm an alma mater of BYU, so I follow those guys on Instagram, and I think some of their interviews are pretty interesting. And uh, it's like you said, it's just a lack of awareness and ignorance. I mean, you know, Utah, you know, Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, some of those places up in the mountains there, uh, they don't have a lot of African-American people or people of color in general, maybe some Native Americans up in that area. So when they're not exposed to those people, they, they have biases. And what they get is what they see on TV, obviously. You know, So they have these cultural affirmations that they think they kind of have an understanding, but they also have a lot of questions. And they sometimes don't know how to navigate uh, good conversations or have any education in regards to people of different uh, culture. And so knowing when Black History Month is or who Martin Luther King is or, you know, all these different uh, African-American um, legacy people that we, we hear of, Frederick Douglass, etc. They just they're just not going to have that awareness. And I think in summary, um, you know, one, you know, have these uncomfortable conversations, uh, educate yourself about the systemic racism that's out there. Um, you know, look at some of the books and some of the podcasts that are out there that kind of discuss these 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 things. And do your part, like Isaac said, you know, when you see a circumstance or a situation happen, whether it's in the workplace or in public, be an advocate, you know, work with your local communities, whether it's your neighborhood or your churches or uh, some of your friendships that you have and be more inclusive and, uh, you know, and uh, share experiences that will help each of us be better acquainted with one another and and to grow as as a a better society any last thoughts isaac no i think that's that's a great point i think that you know there's we're grateful for our freedoms and the country that we live in and you know the fact that we have a lot of opportunity here and maybe a lot more so than other countries in the world Uh, but that's not to say that there's still improvements that we can make as a country and as a people. And, you know, if we truly are the United States of America, I think one of the main things that we need to work on continually is how we can stay and become more united as a people. If you enjoyed this episode, please share. We appreciate your feedback and would love to know what topics you want us to discuss in the future. Our goal is to inspire and enable you to have healthy conversations with your loved ones, all while keeping it real.